Chapter Five of *The Flint Heart* by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: The Flint Heart Gets to Work Again. Up along by Fur Tor, when I was riding the pony over and having a look for the foal Nat Slocum have lost, I failed in with a foreigner," said Mister Jago. When he said foreigner, he didn't mean what you mean. He was not speaking of a Frenchman or a Russian, a Negro or an Indian. He merely meant a stranger. The foreigner very likely had only come from some town a few miles off. In this case, however, he had come from rather a long way off, for he lived in London and was a very clever man. Yes, continued Mr. Jago, a lean slip of a chap, long in the legs, with a learned look at nose. Built for poking into things, and him terrible interested in they old roundy poundies up at Grimspond, and the old stones that the old men heaved up and stuck all over the moor, and he've offered me ten pound, ten pound, if I'll do a job for him up upon top of Fir Tor. Ten pound, father! cried Mrs. Jago, and all the little Jagos also cried, ten pound, father. All except John, who was grown up, and of course he was not astonished at anything owing to his age. Yes, declared Mister Jago, but I'm very much afraid he might as easy and safely have offered a hundred, for 'tis doubtful whether I can do it. In a word, he says there ought to be bronze hid in some of the old men's graves about upon the moor. And if so be as I dig up a bit here, there, or anywhere, he'll give me the money. Tis a wild goose chase," said Mrs. Jago, "and well you know it. The last learned fool as corned up there spent six months digging and delving, and what did he find? Some ashes and a few odd bits of cracked clomb, and three amber beads, the like of which he might have bought to Plymouth for two pence. You mind your own business, Billy." Us'll hear you, be goin' to dig at a rainbow foot for rainbow gold next, and I lay this here gentleman's gold be rainbow gold and no better. What's rainbow gold, mother? Asked Charles. He was the only one of the young Jagos who ever asked questions, but he asked a great many more than his parents could answer. Ah, stuff and nonsense," said Mrs. Jago. "That's what it is." The gentleman's name be Nicodemus Nestor Frodsham Perk, F.R.S. British Museum," said Mister Jago. He read a card that he had drawn out of his pocket. Well, let him go and perk somewhere else," said Missus Jago. "Us haven't got no use for him." If she had known what a terrifically great swell Professor Nicodemus Nestor Frodsham Perk was. I don't suppose that Mrs. Jago would have said this rather rude and silly thing, but few were more learned than he, and he had written a long book about the New Stone Age, where this story began, and the Bronze Age that followed it, and in this remarkable book he had proved that there must be bronze hidden in the old graves on Dartmoor, which shows you what a jolly clever man he was. Because a common man would have waited till somebody found the bronze and then gone on with his book afterwards, but Professor Perk would have thought that stupid, so he discovered the bronze in his book first 
and then went down to find it on Dartmoor afterwards. He felt sure that his book must be right, and though other professors, whose noses even sharper than his, had said unkind things about the book, and declared there was no bronze on Dartmoor, yet many people felt that it was perfectly absurd to suppose a book that had taken a wise man five years to write, and had two hundred and twenty pictures, and one thousand and six pages, not to mention the appendix, could possibly be wrong. So sensible people all agreed with the great and learned professor that if there wasn't any bronze hidden on Dartmoor, somebody was very much to blame for it. Of course, I ban't to go and to waste my time with the man, explained Mr. Jago, but as to-morrow's a holiday and there's naught for me to do, I shall just help him a bit. That old grave as he's found under fur tor have never been broke open by the look of it, and nobody but him would have found it, for tis right in the midst of the prickliest fuzz-bush as ever I corned across. But to-morrow I be goin' to break it open just for to see if anything be there, and no harm's done since the day be a holiday. More fool you, said Mrs. Jago. But when the next day came, Mr. Billy put on his working clothes and went, and Charles went with him to help carry his first hook and pick and spade and basket, and Ship went with them to have a bit of sport, for he was a hard-working dog and enjoyed a holiday as much as anybody when he got one. They reached the spot, but the professor was not there. As a matter of fact, he had sat down two miles off to rest, and been so much interested in his great and wonderful thoughts that he had quite forgotten to rise again. He had suddenly struck upon quite a new way of explaining Dartmoor, and why Dartmoor was Dartmoor, and where it had come from, and what it looked like millions of years ago, long, long before even the new stoners had arrived upon it which subject so much interested Professor Perk that he sat there and filled three notebooks with wonderful ideas, and then suddenly he sneezed forty-two times running, and found that he had got the worst cold he had ever had in his life. So he thrust the notebooks into his pockets, and went to the farm where he was lodging, and put his feet into hot water and mustard and tallowed his nose, and took a favorite medicine of his, and then retired to bed and stopped there for three days. All that time he never once thought of Mr. Jago, but it didn't much matter because Mr. Jago never once thought of him. What really did happen was this. Charles and his father and Ship arrived at the old cairn, and, little knowing that one of the most famous men who had ever been a great and powerful and terrible chief in the old days was buried beneath it, cut down the furzes, and hacked away the peat and heather, and threw open the tomb as if they were merely digging potatoes. It was the grave of the great Phut that they opened, and, of course, they found no bronze there, because, as you may remember, Phut was a new stone man and he passed away some years before the arrival of the first pin on Dartmoor. So Billy Jago found no bronze in the grave of Phutt. In fact, I was going to say he found nothing at all, 
and it is a pity for him that I cannot do so. But something he did find, and he picked it up and put it in his pocket. The gentleman might like this here funny old stone, he said. Tis a piece of flint, father, declared Charles. Of course tis. Any fool can see that, answered his father, and he spoke so roughly that Charles felt much astonished and started away from him. Because Billy Jago, as a rule, was the kindest father that ever loved a parcel of boys and girls, and it amazed his son to hear this sharp word. But if he had known half as much as you know, he would not have been amazed at all. What had happened was this. Billy Jago was carrying the flint heart in his waistcoat pocket, and the charm, after such a long rest, felt bubbling over with wickedness, and was delighted to get to work again without the least delay. If Charles had chanced to look south-south by west at that moment, he would have seen the thunder-spirit laughing over the edge of a black cloud. But he was staring at his father, and so missed the sight. As for Billy, he loaded his pipe, lighted it, and then turned to Charles. "'Pick up the tools and carry em home,' he ordered. "'All of them, father?' cried Charles. "'Yes, all of them. You heard what I said. You ain't deaf, are you?' His father strode off, and Charles stood almost as still as the granite stones of Futt's grave. He had never been so much surprised in his life, and presently his astonishment turned into grief. He cried a little, for he was only twelve, and he loved his father exceedingly. Then he dried his eyes, got the tools together, and found that he could just carry them. So he whistled to ship, and together the dog and the boy started for home. But long before they got there, Charles felt the weight of the tools was more than he could bear, and Ship, who happened to be a very observant dog, noticed his difficulty. So he caught the pick in his teeth and dragged it along to help Charles. Progress was slow, and it had grown dark before they got home to Merripit. But it could not be called Mary any more, for the flint heart had arrived and set to work at once. When Charles came in, he found his mother in a fearful rage, walking up and down the kitchen, and John, who was grown up, sat by the fire nursing a black eye and trying not to look astonished. And Mary was getting the twins into bed, and Teddy was under the table shivering with fear, and Frank was hiding behind the settle, and Unity was merely wondering, and the baby was sound asleep. His mother turned to Charles at once and began to question him. "'All along of that wretch of a man, no doubt,' she said. "'I suppose he've made his ten pounds, and now he feels too grand and fine for his own home and his wife and childer.' "'Do please give me something to eat,' said Charles. "'I'm terrible hungry, and father left me to drag home all the tools, and but for ship here, who helped, and who's terrible hungry too, I should never have fetched him all back. "'Who was this here man?' asked his mother, while she got Charles something to eat. "'I should think twas old Scrat himself, from the way your father's going on. He's bewitched, and overlooked by the evil eye so sure as I'm alive.' 
"Nobody came near us," explained Charles, with his mouth full. "We dug and dug, and found naught but a bit of flint with a hole in it. And then, so sudden as a flash of lightning, father turned on me and spoke as never he spoke afore, and ordered me to bring home the tools, and went off without me. And, by the looks of you all, he wasn't no better when he got back." Teddy spoke and told Charles what had happened. He corned in shouting out for his dinner, and when mother said twasn't ready, he said it ought to be, and John stood up for mother, and father knocked him edgewise over the fender, and just look at John's eye. And I hooked it after that, and so did Frank, for we thought twould be our turn next. Then he went for mother again, and when we come back they was having a pretty set to, wasn't you, mother? I doubt he's gone mad, or else the pixies are playing a game with him," said Charles. Then Teddy went on, but as a rule, when father and mother have words, mother gets the best of it, don't you, mother? Only this time father got the best of it, and he ate up all the tidbits of the dinner, and then off he went, because he said he wanted to pluck a crow with Mr. French down in the valley. He said he didn't see why Mr. French should be the leading man in Postbridge, and he wasn't going to stand it. And goodness knows what'll happen next. At that moment a terrible noise broke out down by the garden gate. Men were shouting and dogs were barking. Then there was a crash, and Ship rushed out to see who the dogs were, and Charles rushed out to see who the men were. But Mrs. Jago stopped where she was, and so did John, who was grown up, and so did Mary and Teddy and Frank and Unity. They had been so much terrified already that they felt it did not much matter what happened. Mrs. Jago sighed, and John asked for another piece of brown paper for his eye. Then the master of the house came in, and Charles followed him. End of chapter 5